Hi everybody, today we had Q&A for Safe House, Autoerotic, and Erotic Wealth, and we answered so many questions. I definitely started crying in the beginning when I talked about how much I hate the pharmaceutical industry. We talked about good householder, we talked about what to do when your partner isn't compliant with the work. It's a hot episode. My absolute favorite question was at the very end as well. So hope you enjoy. We'll see you next Friday. And don't forget, The Intuitor is on Tuesdays now at 11. See you for the next episode. Bye. Back on my bullshit. I've um, been waking up super early in the morning to get to work because I'm ready to get started on my novel. Tell me, guys, if you would read a book like this. It's about being seduced by a guru. We have Megan, who is, you know, just kind of like a New York normie. Not for, you know, she's from Richmond. She has a boyfriend. Everything is kind of like stale in her life. And she's doing reporting for Grip News, which is like Vice. And they want to send her to Budapest to profile this like guru that people are like, this guy is fucking fucked up. And it's pretty secret. Like, you know, people in inner circles have learned about like this teacher. Um, his name is Rajiv. And she gets sent to go and cover him and she knows that there's like orgies and that he has, you know, quite a lot of people that are fans of his and that people get like super addicted to the work and stuff. Um, and what she doesn't expect is that in going out there, this person who is very like sturdy minded and very has her mind made up and is very strong willed and very stubborn, what she's not expecting is to become completely psychologically enamored with this strange and compelling guru and it's not like he's super hot you know it's not like it's, it's like taken aback it's just he's super compelling he's kind of short he's probably like five eight five nine bald head dark eyes but the thing is is that he has the he has the teachings that she wants so bad and didn't know that she wanted and what he talks and how he talks is not something that she could get anywhere else. And as the book goes on, all of a sudden, leaving her very nice, very stable fiance Thurman in New York starts to seem like a really good idea. And becoming a member of his harem and even having one of his illegitimate children, all of this starts to sound appealing to her. And this is, this is the story that I'm writing. Is this something? Is this something that you guys would be interested in reading? Let me know whether you're interested in reading it or not. I have to write it because it just has to happen. But that is what I'm working on right now. So today is Safe House Q&A and we are also answering questions from autoerotic wealth and erotic wealth. So we're going to do it in that order if you're looking for your questions. Safe House Q&A is going first. Erotic wealth um, will be second and autoerotic wealth will be third. I'll do my best to give you guys little timestamps as we're going along here so that you don't have to sift through the whole video. But I'm doing my best to show up with consistently. I'm responding to what you guys said you wanted from me. You guys wanted video responses and not text responses and you wanted a consistent time. It was hard as fuck for me to get here this morning, but my core values is that, and this has been this way since the beginning, is that spiritual work should be easy to understand. And if my workshops are not easy enough for you to understand, then I want us to be able to clarify it here every single week. When I first built this product, I was like, I will do Q&A once a month because it's so much for me to invest a set time every single week indefinitely. 
But I was like, the second I started, I was like, no, my customers need to feel seen and heard every single week to know that they can get me on Friday every single week because spiritual work should be easy to understand. It shouldn't be in riddles. It shouldn't be complicated. The next core value is that it should be practical to apply. And so there should always be a specific piece of homework that you can do right now that it's not just like, wow, listen to all of this good information. It's like, take this information and funnel it into this specific practice. So also on Friday, I'm checking homework, the homework for erotic and autoerotic well specifically. I check every single piece of homework that comes through. And if it's not, and I'm just not glazing it and being like, oh, well, you know, it looks good. I am making sure that you got these pieces correctly. My homework prompts are very direct, very to the point, change this up, you didn't dig deep enough here, go deeper. And the homework is not like for accountability. It's you've gotta do it and I've gotta check it because I believe that all spiritual work should be practical to apply. It should, and the third, is that it should give results that you feel working right away. This is why most people stay and do all of my workshops because they're all magical processes and you feel them working right away. Now, the first half of every magical process is laying the foundation. The second half of every magical process is a gift wave. So you can't receive anything if you don't have the space to receive it. We always have to clear space first, but you will feel it working with each and every moment. So because so many people like to do all of my workshops together, we've bundled them together in an esoteric school called Safe House. Now, the main reason people do not like Safe House is because they join, they start doing all of the workshops and they get overwhelmed and don't finish any of them. This is not what Safe House is for. We have a specific curriculum that we're following that we encourage you to follow as well. However, if you do not want to start where we started at the beginning of the year, that's completely fine. You can do our how to get started homework and see which workshop is right for you to begin with using a super simple pie chart. It will take you, you know, five minutes, but finish what you start. It's much better to finish what you start than to try and do them all at once. You save a lot of money when it's bundled together. And there's also the opportunity to go and dabble around in some of the other courses like School of Unified Spiritual Laws. That's a great one for browsing. Even Wheels Reinvented. If you watch one chakra, you're going to want to do all of them. But even Wheels Reinvented is good for a browse because everything will want is like, but you can try all of those workshops for free for 14 days when you go to mommyonami.com slash safe house. And that offer does expire on the 1st of October. So that's in two days. You have two days to get a 14 day free trial. But when you're on safe house, you can ask me questions every single Friday. So that's what we're doing here. Question. Hi, Onami. I would love if you could talk more about what it means to be a good householder and how do I know if I'm doing it? I have room for improvement and not exactly sure what enough or more than enough looks like here. So thank you for this wonderful question. So she's using the term good householder, which anybody that's experienced in, you know, the advancement of spiritual teachings that is getting due to your own magnetic center, due to yourself asking yourself difficult questions, you're starting to be exposed to higher teachings and you hear this specific rite of passage, which is called good householder. And good householder means that you are easily able to support yourself and your household doing something that you love. 
You've managed to take the thing that you love and create enough income off of that to be able to really focus on your spiritual studies. So if you are scrambling in any way, shape, or form for money, then you need to focus on money until it's no longer an issue for you because you can't manifest your way into good household or you really have to like work your way there. And on that journey, you start to love work. You start to realize that like, hey, I'm here to work. This is great for me. Just because it's work doesn't mean it has to be miserable. But this is where you learn that you were brought here with unique gifts that nobody else has. And when you use them and you apply business tools to them that like, it's actually really fun. And it, it balances your masculine and your feminine and it brings so much to your life. And it's, it's just fun. It's fun to be able to do these things. So when you're at the level of good householder, you can genuinely think about helping other people because you, you aren't scrambling to make your own ends meet. But I love what she said here is like, I'm not exactly sure what enough or more than enough looks like. Now, these concepts enough, not enough, more than enough. This is all the world of the second chakra. And when you hear your own thoughts telling you a lot, you know, am I good enough, this enough, tall enough, thin enough, pretty enough. Enough is a concept and not an amount. So somebody that wanted to lose 10 pounds would have a very specific outcome, a measurable outcome in mind. Somebody that feels like they'll never, that they're not thin enough could be infinitely body dysmorphia, infinitely just, you know, trying to, trying to lose weight all the time. There would be no, there's, there's not a goal that you can get to. So we always, and we do this in the Svadhisthana Chakra of Wheels Reinvented. And I talk about this in, in all of the workshops that talk about money. So erotic wealth, waking wealth, all of these, we, we discuss this. You have to decide for yourself what enough, not enough, and more than enough looks like. And sometimes something, so like before, I would say that $250,000 a year is enough money. But as I started to grow and my dreams of service became bigger and my dreams, when it comes to money, I'm never like, oh, I want to have $250,000 in my fucking bank account. It's not about that. It's about what I would be able to do with it and the things that I would be able to build with it. So 250K at one point was enough, but now it's not enough. And it's very sacred to be transferring things out of the enough range into the not enough range so that you can keep reaching for more and more and more. And even... Better than that would be to, instead of having to put yourself in a place of not enough, to just be able to crave more than enough because you can, because it's fun. So like in the beginning, I always felt that to, to set a new financial goal, I had to have this very specific mission with the universe of like, this is what I'm going to do with it. This is how I'm going to serve. But after a certain financial point around like the 500K mark, making more just because it's just more fun and I'd be able to build new things, but because it's fun and I don't have to have some big long explanation of why it is that I want to do it. It's just more fun. I have a lot of fun working with big things like this. It would be more fun to be able to put more ad spend on things and see, you know, how things grow. And it turns out I wasn't prepared at all to do that because there's so much advertising study that goes into place. But when people um, publish at my publishing house, I'll be able to bring 
God's so much expertise to the book relaunch and the book launch. So I'm very, I'm happy to learn these things because it's going to serve so many people. Um, but you have to define for yourself what not enough looks like. And, and you can do this with time, you can do this with money, and you can do this with love because these are the three areas that are always blocked by self-worth and they always mirror each other. So if you have not enough money, you have not enough time, you have also have not enough love and you need to clearly define, okay, so what does not enough money looks like, look like? Not able to pay my bills. What does enough look like? Okay, pay my bills but not racking up savings. What does more than enough look like? and going and, and writing that down because everybody will have a different definition of what enough, not enough, and more than enough looks like for them. And you have to define that for yourself. So if you haven't ever done this before, do it today. Love, money, time. And if you have any issues with like binging anything, so you could binge food, you could binge substances, you could binge input, if you're concerned about your kids and screen time, then, you know, clearly define for yourself what not enough is, what enough is, and what more than enough is. Because when you have that clear definition for yourself, you can see your plate and say, okay, when this, when I receive this plate, I have more than enough food. And I'll know that this is more than enough food when I leave a certain, you know, when I leave food on the plate, I don't have to finish the whole plate because I have a belief that there's not enough. If you have a belief that there's not enough, you'll eat everything that's on the plate and be like, I still need more. And it's not coming from a place of pleasure and it's not coming from a place of satisfaction. And it's actually not even coming from the truth of your body. It's coming from this belief that there's not enough, that no matter how much there is, there's not enough. And if you have this relationship with money, that no matter how much it is, it's not enough. It doesn't matter how much you have. You're always going to be saying, I need this, I need this, I need this. And, and you don't have to need it to get it. You can just want it. Because the truth is that money never goes to people that need it. It goes to people that want it. And so because we're having this conversation about good householder and waking wealth, you know, we talk about our first memory with money. What's your first memory with money? And my first memory with money was like yeah, stealing money out of my dad's drawer. And I was actually like stealing it back because we went out and fundraised and asked for that money. But once I figured out how easy it was to get it, I was just, you know, I could, I didn't have anywhere to spend it. I didn't have anything to do with it. But my dad, my dad was, you know, the fun, the in, in charge of the finances for one of the communes that we lived in and, and each compound had to send in 10% of all the money that they made back to like the cult headquarters and which you know wasn't a lot of money but geez for the headquarters they probably made a fucking shit ton uh the tie that was called but my dad in his drawer had all of these stacks of of 50s and singles so like 51 dollar bill stacks and I was like, so easy to just take a dollar out of here and take a dollar out of here. You know, they're never going to know. And if it's just one here and one there, they're just going to think that it's miscounted. And I thought that that was so, so I was like, I can just take, it was great. The fact that, and I didn't feel any guilt about it whatsoever because I was like, whatever, you know, like I just didn't have, I, I just didn't have any, any morals on that whatsoever. But no matter, even though I couldn't spend it, like no matter how much I got, I just wanted to get more, but it wasn't coming from a place of like, it, it, that's just how I am with, that's just how I am with money. I didn't need it. 
but I wanted it. I'm like, if there's more, can't I just go and get it? And so your whole pattern with money is contained in that first experience that you ever had with money. And whether you think it's good or bad is irrelevant because it, it, is, it just is what it is. And so I could say, oh man, did that start a pattern with me of stealing money? No, I've explored this memory probably you know, 10, 15 times, all the different times that I've ran Breaking Broke, all the different times that I've done Waking Wealth. Um, just, is, just is what it is. And so don't judge your first experience with money. Just observe it because these same patterns are with you all the way up into today. So I've not stolen money in like probably, I don't know, 15 years. I used to steal from my jobs like all the time. Um, but now, but it, it wasn't stealing. Like to me, it wasn't, it didn't have guilt. I didn't feel bad about it. I was like, whatever. I made all of this money that I have to turn into the house anyway, fucking standing on street corners, asking for money, having to turn it all into the fucking home. Anyways, I'm going to take some dollars out and keep that shit for myself. You know, no problem. I'm totally cool with that. And then I ended up spending it on candy at Christian night at the roller rink and shared it with everybody. So I was like, this is great. Bubblicious pink lemonade flavor gum. That was like the first time I ever bought candy. So, so that's that. So look at that first memory with money because it created a pattern that's with you up until this day. And don't judge it. There's like every time I do these things with people, especially when it comes to money and success, they're so critical about these memories. They say, no, no, no. Somewhere in some book, someone else says that this sentiment is toxic or this thing is bad. It's like, it's not. It just is what it was. And what was your intention with it? Was your intention to harm? And the grief recovery method, they talk about guilt. And guilt is a block of the root chakra, which will keep you in a fucking not enough state for real. Uh, but guilt is a block of the root chakra. And guilt is remorse over the intent to do harm. And the thing about Marlon Brando says about guilt that it's like an impossible emotion to play. So like nobody knows when they have guilt because if you try and pretend to be guilty, if you try and play the role of guilt, you look remorseful or pensive or anxious or all of these other things. You can't play guilty because guilt looks like everything else. So people that are guilty and that experience guilt on a daily basis, which is, is, is fear plus God, fear plus God equals guilt. Fear plus when that fear of like, I'm not safe turns into I'm not safe because I did something bad and God is mad at me. Like that's the world of guilt and people in the West get it much more than people in the East because, you know, we have such a Judeo-Christian programming is like so dualistic. Heaven or hell is like something that we all grow up in just living in this society. Even if your parents weren't religious, like you'll still grow up in this society. Um, But guilt is only relevant if you actually meant to do harm. And if your intention was not to do harm to yourself or someone else, like there's no reason to feel guilty about it. And if your intent actually was to do harm to yourself or someone else, then you just need to forgive yourself for that. It doesn't mean that you're bad. You just didn't know. So this person in the comments says, I find you interesting. What's your opinion on antidepressants? My opinion on antidepressants is that there is a 5% chance that you will come off of them when you go on them. And if your doctor is not disclosing this to you, they might not know or they might not care. And this is information that every single person should know 
before they start taking antidepressants because every doctor is telling you that it's going to be three to six months. And that's if you can be in the 5% that gets off of them. 95% of people will not come off of antidepressants. Now let's look at the word depressed because the word depressed suggests that you should not be feeling as sad as you do about the pain in your life. This fucking statement suggests that there's some type of specific barometer for pain that you have to endure X amount of suffering, Syrian refugee amount of suffering to feel depressed about your life, to feel sad about your life. This is not true. You are entitled to feel as sad as you want about anything that you want. Maybe you're sad. Maybe you're sad. Maybe your shit's fucked up. My whole life, people told me that I should be on my antidepressants and I am that I should be on antidepressants. And I am so friggin' lucky that I had such a fucked up life because people would say, oh yeah, you know, you're depressed. I said, look at my life. Look at my childhood. My fiance just died. I work in a bar with no possible way of getting out of the service industry that I can see because my self-esteem is so low. Of course I'm depressed. I had that advantage, but people that grew up with quote unquote privilege, which is also, you know, not a fixed statement, feel like they are not allowed to be as sad as they are about the pain in their life. So this whole concept depression, a depression is the opposite of an expression. When you are not allowed, allowed to express that you feel sad about the things that you feel sad about, whether you think you're deserving of it or not, it creates a depression because you are not permitting yourself to express the pain that you are feeling. Whether you like it or not, you're in pain. Whether you think it's valid or not, you're in pain. I fucking hate the pharmaceutical industry. I fucking hate it. I hate everything about it. I hate every single thing about it. I don't think that it has helped anybody. I don't think that it has helped anybody. They're like, oh, well, I would have S-U-I-C-I-D-A-L thoughts if it wasn't for this medication. A thought is a thought. A thought is a thought. I've had all kinds of crazy thoughts. People don't, like, if you tell someone, I'm thinking about being an actor in Hollywood, they're like, lol, you're crazy with no action to back it up. It's just a thought. It's just a thought. And then people say, I have intrusive thoughts, meditate, medicate, medicate to make it go away. A thought's just a thought. It's believing the thoughts that's creating the issue. It's believing the thoughts. You can sit there in fucking therapy with a psychologist for as long as you want getting to the bottom of your thoughts as if there's not a fresh one that'll come up and a fresh one that'll come up and a fresh one that'll come up. How long are you going to fucking sit there swallowing being a fucking science project for the pharmaceutical industry? A science project. They don't have data to figure out if this works or not. This has been around for like fucking 30, 40 years and people have been ruined over it. Ruined. Every time they switch up your medication, you are... And... The increase in thoughts only increases. It's not helping. It's not working. It's not working. And people say, oh, well, it's working for me. Okay, 
So how long have you been on it for and how long are you planning on being on it for and how long did the doctor tell you that you were going to be on it for? After six months, you say it's working? Okay. So when you haven't felt anything in 10 years and you're like, hmm, I think I want to get off, it's not sustainable. It's not sustainable. It's not working. I have seen two people, somebody that I love so much right now is in a crisis house. Goes to a crisis house like every two months. You know why? His meds get switched up on him. Desperately wants to be off of his meds. He's in crisis house right now. My mom's been to the ER. It's not, my, it's not an immediate family member. But my mom's been to the ER three times in the last three days. And this is her life every single month. I fucking hate the pharmaceutical industry. And my workshop, Wheels Reinvented, this is why I have so close to me people that struggle with mental illness and have been byproducts of the pharmaceutical industry for so long. And it breaks my heart and it drives me crazy. I'm like a dog trying to catch his own tail. With time, I'm learning how to be like, I can't help them. And the reason why I have this in my life is because if I didn't have this in my life, I wouldn't really care about this so much. Because I am all, and you can't help your family. You can't heal your family. No matter how much you want to, they just can't receive it from you. They don't want that from you. It's codependency. Like you have to learn how to let it go. But I tell you every single fucking day, I show up sword in hand and do my part to get better holistic mental health tools out into the world every single goddamn day. And the reason why I do this is because I am just hoping and praying that one day somebody who trained with me in my books, in my workshops, watch this Q&A, will be in a Starbucks in San Diego, California and see one of my family members with their head hung low, clearly in a lot of psychological pain and they might just ask them that one question that could help them unravel it all. That one question that I've tried so many times to ask them. And it just doesn't work because you can't heal your family. But I just hope and I just pray that somebody that crossed my paths will be able to talk to one of my family members in a Starbucks and heal them from all of that pain that I'm so familiar with. It breaks my heart and I fucking hate the pharmaceutical industry. Lexapro, Effexor, the fucking every type of antipsychotic that you can imagine. Every type of antidepressant that you can imagine. Up and down, up and down. ERs every two months. Crisis house every two months. Psych wards every two months. And the whole time I'm standing right there with the key and I just can't get it to them. This has been my life for the past 15 years. Ooh, so good thing I was listening to this back. The key is to ask somebody whenever they're in any state of distress, when they start talking about what it is that they're feeling, ask them, when was the first time you ever felt this way and if they don't know find out what they're feeling say well where do you feel it in your body 
Does it move fast or slow? How would you draw it? Like if you could draw it. And once they're a little bit deeper in the feeling because we've asked them more questions about it, ask them when was the first time they ever felt that way. And be a heart with ears. Listen and don't say anything. But they will tell you the first time they ever felt that way. And just by reviewing that story, they will shift it. This is the easiest way to do trauma repair. But I teach seven different types of trauma repair and the root causes of all the main childhood traumas in my workshop, Wheels Reinvented. Two-week free trial of that until October 1st at mommyonami.com forward slash safe house. And that's why I do what I do. And that's what I do what I do. If you guys are having a hard time hearing this on TikTok, it's live on YouTube. Cool. I know a lot of people right here on my TikTok are saying that they can't hear me. It's live on my YouTube and you can always catch a replay on the podcast as well. So let's go on to the next question. Are you? Okay, cool. Where is my questions here? Got a little distracted by my daughter crying in the bathroom. I'm crying here with you, honey. I'm crying here with you. Can you guys hear me now on TikTok? Can you please go in depth into the exact definition of the word esoteric? Can it be appropriately used to describe a level of information found in all subjects? No. So there's three levels of spiritual teachings. And we use this analogy a lot of the temple. So the exoteric is like the outside of the temple that everybody can access. Let me just let this lady know that at 29 minutes this starts. Um, The exoteric is the outside of the temple. So anybody can walk up to the temple and go and look at it. You guys can hear me right now? Okay, wonderful. All of these Q&As are always on YouTube. And you can also hear it on my podcast whenever it is, you know, in case the Wi-Fi or anything is spotty here. You can hear all of that and that whole tears section was from about 20 minutes to 29 minutes on that podcast. Um, So exoteric is the outer level of the temple and anybody can go to a temple be like, wow, it looks beautiful. They can walk around, they can see the beauty of the temple, all of that. That's the exoteric. That's dualistic. That's good, bad, right, wrong. So like anybody can go to Christian church and hear about heaven and hell. Anybody can, anybody can access that. You don't have to be initiated. You don't have to really care about it. Everybody gets that deep conditioning treatment in their brain. The second level is the mesoteric. And the mesoteric is like the inner courtyard of the temple um, where also the monks can live and work and the different adepts can go. Now, you can't go in off the street and just climb into the mesoteric. You can't just sit down with the monks and start meditating. You can try, but they're on a totally different schedule than you. There's not a place for you. You need your robes and you need a teacher. You can't get into the mesoteric if you're not initiated. The teacher has to see you come in off the street and you say, hi, I'd like to meditate, please. And they're like, are you sure? It's really hard work. You have to dedicate your life to it. You have to shave your head. You have to renounce all of your money, everything. You have to live monastically. But if you want to do this, then you can become a monk, you can get the curriculum and you can meditate correctly, you can work correctly as opposed to just saying, I can do it all by myself with the exoteric information that's been supplied to me. Now, you it always requires payment to go from the exoteric to the mesoteric. And people that are firmly stuck in the exoteric, say, and especially now with the internet, there's no such thing as spiritual secrets. I can look anything up on the internet 
It's law, babe. You're not going to get from the outer level into the second level without a teacher to initiate you. It's just not possible. They have to do it with language as well. It's an oral initiation. So basically what this means is that no matter, it, the teachings are ancient, but you always have to hear a teacher talking about it in contemporary language that basically shows you how like the ancient philosophy is applied to the modern seeker. So it always costs something. In the past, this was reserved for renunciates only. Renunciates only. Now you can be happy that you can pay money instead of having to give up all of your family, all of your job, all of your everything. Although if you still want to go live at an ashram and do that, you definitely can. But try like a Vipassana first and see if you can actually, if that's actually for you. Now, the third level is the esoteric. And we'll hear a lot of people say esoteric this, esoteric that. That's because the same way that I talk about like deeper properties of, of spiritual work, for example, the different laws that govern us, why certain psychological things work the way that they do, the four centers of the mind, all of this. This is the lineage, that very specific lineage fourth way that recognizes that there is a bridge between the outermost level of the temple and the innermost level of the temple. So the innermost level of the temple is not the, the mesoteric where the monks are. It's the esoteric. And that's the holy of holies. That's the chamber of secrets. That's the fucking fillet in the middle of the temple where only the high priests can go. This is direct contact with God. People say, well, I took ayahuasca and had direct contact with God. Yeah, but you didn't have direct contact with God. The ayahuasca did. This has nothing at all to do with you. This isn't your result. And actually, you are not able to really integrate everything that you saw. You might integrate one or two pieces, but the second that ayahuasca is gone from you, um, you don't really know what to do with it. Also, if you th if you just try and like stack these experiences to find your awakening, you never really know. You can't target something. For example, you can't target healing your sexual trauma. You just hope that that's going to come up. But it stops working after a while because you are now using a medicine like a medication because you want a consistent result that doesn't belong to you. And this actually just creates schizophrenia over time. So good luck with that. Schizophrenia is when you realize too many inconsistencies, but you don't understand any of them. Therefore, anything anyone says anywhere about you or anything else could be true. And you're just like, and the mind splits. So this is actually a natural symptom on the path to awakening, but you have to know where to, where to land in it all. So in schizophrenia, the mind splits between thinking, personality, perception, and memory. So it's no longer your memory, it's its memories. It's no longer your personality, it's its personality. It's no longer your thinking, it's its thinking. And it's no longer your perception, it's its perception. Like anything could go. The world could be round, the world could be flat, and you don't know how to be in that, in that soup. And so what you're meant to do is like free fall and just be like, I know nothing and I'm not in control of anything and that's okay. But when this happens too fast for you, which can happen when you take in too much information like on the internet or with psychedelics, it just creates a, a split and you're desperately clinging on to the known 
because you haven't been initiated and given the time to be like, it's okay, you don't have to cling to the known. You can just, you know, teetotal through the unknown forever. And, and that'll actually be okay. We go from schizophrenia to mania 24-7. Mania, mania is a vibe. <laughs> mania is a vibe. All creativity all the time, but while still being grounded at the root. This is why we do Wheels Reinvented. This is why we go through every single chakra on its own so that you can handle the joy of being totally ascended up there while being totally grounded down here. You really have to, you want to be bookended by these two things. Um, so you're meant to like go, go free falling, but when you haven't been initiated into this or you, you try and cut the line with psychedelics, you say, I could have direct contact with God right now. Okay. Okay. See you in the fucking grippy socks vacation, my G, or hopefully I'll see you in wheels reinvented. So it doesn't go that way. Um, but it, it actually doesn't work. When knowledge exceeds understanding, it becomes imagination. Imagination is not Einstein imagination. That's visualizing, being able to visualize a new reality. Imagination is like a, a defect of the mind. It always goes towards the negative. It's anxiety. You can't fucking, it's, it's, o, it's pure O. You can't control it. Basically, the thoughts come in and they whisk you away. And you think that everything that you imagine could become real and that it's a premonition. It sucks. It drains like all of the energy that you really need to do your great work in the world. So, so that's where that comes. So that's where that comes from. So the esoteric is the absolute is, is the highest level of teachings. Traditionally, these teachings are symbolic. You do need to be initiated into them, but it comes with time and it's, it's awesome. And as you, you know, the more experienced a teacher is, the more initiations they do, the higher up the chain they go and the less words are necessary to teach people. So in the beginning, you can only teach people from your story and it takes a really long time. When your teachings become objective, you can teach people in myth and parable and then break it down for them deeper if that's what they need. And then at the highest level, it's symbolic where you just show them the symbol and they understand that that's the answer. And every time they look at the symbol, they get a new level of awakening and it's a beautiful thing. So those were the safe house questions answered. Now we're going to go to erotic wealth. We got to do this kind of fast. How can I do this when my partner can't control their emotions when we need to have a discussion? In the moment, in real life, e in the moment, real life ego always comes to the surface and blocks any progress of communication. And it seems like we can only talk to each other through text messages because it's safer. I don't want a text messaging marriage, but my partner has no concept of being self-aware, it seems, and is very reactive to me when I express discomfort. Yo, thank you so much for this question. And I just want to honor that like when you're in, this is erotic wealth is the oil change for your marriage. So like all of the things that you've been avoiding, all of the stuff that you haven't wanted to look at is going to come up like it, it doesn't just heal a marriage, but it also reveals a marriage. And when we talk about the magical process, the whole first step of it being laying the foundation, like we couldn't, we couldn't put sex magic on this block because when that Kundalini energy, and I have to say that word, I would just say the actual, when the actual energy gets raised up the spine, like we do when we're doing SEX magic, what happens is it would hit that block and it would create more of that block. And we don't want that because what that looks like is like you guys have way more fights. All so and it would be it would get crazy. It would probably lead to a divorce. So we have to set this foundation before we start pulling that energy up into place into to chakras where it's blocked.
And so the communication aspect of this, the communication aspect of this, we go over in point two, which is lesson three tools, the four horsemen communication. You guys are going to have to watch that again together. And, and if he's not willing to do that, then you need to say, listen, if you don't value our marriage enough to, to heal it, then you don't value our marriage enough to heal it. Do you value this relationship? Do you want to see this stand the test of time? Do you want to stay together or do you want to let this slowly disintegrate? We have to decide now. This doesn't have to be an argument and this can be a text message. Is our marriage valuable to you? If it was a car, you would get the oil changed. This is the car that we're riding in for ideally the rest of our life. We need to do this. Now, in that lesson, the four horsemen, we talk about these different communication styles and how they can make or break a relationship. And each person needs to take accountability for theirs and use the safety word. Use the safety word, kolaches. You're doing this thing. Let's return to our why. Do you value this marriage? Yes or no? Then we have to make it work. And I'm going to use a safety word every time you're doing it. And you'll use a safety word every time that I'm doing it. You can only be responsible for your 50% of the relationship. They have to be responsible for their 50% of the relationship. But pretending like this stuff wasn't happening in the relationship was not working. So now we have to take, there's a mess. And we do have to clean this up. And this is what the whole first part of a magical process is for. Keep me super posted. Keep me super posted. And for this first round of Erotic Wealth, if you needed me to come in with a personal video and give a spank, then I can do that. But I just want to honor that when I only hear the wife's side of things, I only hear the wife's side of things. So if he's not cooperating, you can let him know. Onami wants to know why this part is so difficult for you. And then I can send a response to that. When you have that from him, I can give that back to him. But Onami wants to know why this is so difficult for you. He can record a video or he can write it down. But that's, that's how it is. And this is why we put a 12-month timer on a 10-month workshop. Because people will just like kind of stay there. You need a little bit of fire under your ass to be like, look, we're going to have to pay for this all over again. We're going to have to pay for this all over again if we can't figure this out. Now, this is just the beginning and there is rewards that are coming, but the rewards can't hit a leaky container. So we do have to sort this out. And I just need to make sure that I make that note for autoerotic to teach them in it the next lesson. Where is auto? Auto is at six. Ooh, big thing. Okay. How the sexual magic energy works. Wonderful. Okay, let's go to our next question. I'm not fully caught up in all the videos, but I had a question about the gods we uncovered from the meditation. What's the best way to invite them into our relationship and sex life to ensure that we're completely open to receiving the full scope of their guidance, especially when my partner is not used to communicating with or in receivership this way? Thank you so much for this question. And as we continue, we will work with the gods deeper and deeper and deeper. And we'll show you how to like communicate them in a, in a style that we call, uh, it's like phone SEX. 
Um, but we'll get to that when we're in lesson six and also in lesson seven. So in every relationship, there's like the timekeeper and the money keeper, which we already established. The timekeeper, while this can change, there's also like a st the story keeper. And traditionally, women were better at telling stories and passing down stories. So you can actually do most of this. You can tell your partner the stories. They don't really have to supply the other half of it. Um, the only real work that you guys are doing in this, you know, from where you are in this course is um, is just researching as much as you can about the gods. Now, your husband probably won't do this because the story isn't as important to him, but what you do is you go and research and you find out as much as possible as you can about these different deities and what they're into and cool stories about them. And then you just share that with them. So we don't need, you know, we're not expecting men to be as intuitive as we are, or even, not even necessarily men, but there's always going to be a partner that's less like magically inclined, that's less lunar. The lunar is really good at reading in between the lines. The lunar is really, really good at going and doing the research. The solar is really there for the action. And we need these two different, you know, one current is magnetic, the lunar, and one current is electric. And so by having both, you know, the, the, the magnetic current is going to create the whole environment of magic, but the electric is going to provide the charge when it's ready. So the electric has a very short job to do. The magnetic can create the whole environment for this magic to occur. Thank you so much for this um, question. All right, let's go. And I love these questions too, because it guarantees like, for erotic wealth, we have all the lessons already, but for autoerotic wealth, we're shooting them as we go. And so I'm so happy that we get to, uh, every time I'm like, ooh, that would be a really good note for that, I can always just bring it in. Okay, let's do our questions. Mommy, I need your help. I went off octave like, oh, sex magic is no fucking joke. Yeah, I know. But going off octave doesn't mean that you're doing anything wrong. Like going off octave is natural and you did mesoterica. So you know this. Um, but going off octave is completely natural and I completely get it. So I'm just giving her the little time stamp. There we go. In a prior Q&A, you taught how to separate the orgasm from the ejaculation. And once I figured it out, shit got real. I know. Everyone I met wanted to F me and I started having a lot of X. I was getting high a fuck. At the same time, I kept getting further off track. I feel the pull to return to the work I meant to do, yet I resist. My questions. I quit effing everything in sight, but now how do I get back? You, <laughs> you cautioned me about returning the energy back to my donshin. Maybe I'm not doing it the right way. That's not so important. Is that why I went so wild? Can I have casual X while I wait for my soulmate to show up? I think the answer is no, but maybe I just need to hear you say it. Thank you so much. All right. This is why I love working with people on Safe House because it's like I've known you for a while, you know, so this is not I know the backstory to this because I've been answering questions for the student every week for like the past you know, six months. So this context is always something that this is why I love working with people in safe house as opposed to just workshop by workshop. And this is why the Friday Q&A is just for people that are on safe house and doing these workshops. Uh, if you're here showing up live at 11 o'clock on a Friday, you know, I, I can always make space. And the best way to get a question is, is, is to be on YouTube um, because there's less there's always less questions on there so I can see them really clearly. 
but I love this context because I know that before Mesoterica, you'd been celibate for a while. So all of this rush of actual energy isn't just, you know, because of this workshop we're doing here. This is your first time returning to this world after so long of being out of it. And this is natural, you know, like this is natural. This is good. If you weren't allowed to eat cookies for two years and then all of a sudden we got cookies, it's like, of course, we're going to be eating the shit out of cookies because it's like, is this is this natural? And now you're learning what the right amount looks like for you. And you can 110% be having casual sex while holding out for your divine lover. You can 110% do that. The only thing that I would recommend is like raising your, when you get sick of this naturally, you'll, you'll get sick of it. But I got to a point where I was like, and my husband was also at this point as well, where it was like, I, I just know that there's no such thing as actual casual sex for me that every time I have a casual situation like this, that it ends up being a short-term dating, which ends, to, ends in like a long-term hangover. And if it were possible for me to not like attach to every person, then I would have probably gone that way. But like we, you know, Lunar Properties have a receiver. So for the average person, I would tell them, hold out, be celibate, indulge in your self-pleasure practices, really learn what you like be in this whole world. But you've already done this. So I can provide a unique response to you, which is if it feels good, do it. And if it doesn't, don't. And don't let it get more complicated than that. Like you are, you're finding your own balance you know it's it's very natural to go from like swinging all the way into like nothing into swinging into like so much more than enough and you will find where your sacred balance is if you are getting over you know the energy of having like people around or in your bed then the it's as you can be a different person right now you can take cool and now i'm focusing on my self pleasure not because all of that is bad but because I want, you know, I don't want to be in a situationship with somebody that was never my ideal partner. What we talk about in autoerotic, what you're doing is like, I don't want to confuse my destination with this layover. I can really enjoy the layover. I can say, oh my God, Amsterdam is amazing. I don't have to move here because I know what I have. I'm not going to settle because I know that this is what I want. And as long as you're making sure that there's not an unavailability there because it's a situationship with someone, they're showing up at your house or blowing your shit up and you don't like it, like there's always a way to just set a boundary and return the energy to yourself. As far as like returning the energy to the Donchan, it's really just an intention, but I, I very much, it's X magic has gotten really overcomplicated. This is why I'm so grateful for the Enneagram where it's like, can we just like simplify this because it doesn't need to be so difficult and it's scary when we say, oh, these are the ramifications of not doing this multi-step process perfectly. Like it doesn't have to be that complicated. Like we are here to use these systems to, to simplify the whole thing. So that returning the energy to your dungeon, that's like from the Taoist perspective, but it's really... It's just the intention and you can set that intention at any time during the day and be like, cool, I'm going to ground, I'm going to ground this energy. If I'm feeling like a, like an ex pest where all I am is like, la, 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 and I don't have follow through and I'm not grounded and 
my priorities could be removed at any time by somebody else's priorities. And then that's just a sign that we want to return our sexual energy to ourselves. But you can just speak out loud. I now return my sexual energy to myself. I now ground it. It's, it's not really that complicated. The mind is very, very strong and all magic happens in the mind. So when you set a clear intention and, and follow that through with the psychological action of, of not going back and being like, did I close that? Did I close that? You always make a note on this day, I set this intention and that was it. I remember this moment, I'm not opening that book again because every time I open the book and say, did I actually ground my sexual energy or not? You're, you're saying that you didn't do it. And so you just give the gift to yourself don't look it in the mouth and that's and that's it and the work is done but you you are back she says how do i get back like you are back and you will find what your natural balance is and if you're like okay so now i really want to hold out because i want to be available for that soulmate clearly define the attributes of your soulmate and you might think that you have the perfect draft and then you, uh, you meet a guy that like meets all of the criteria and then you realize, mm, but I didn't specify. I said I wanted tattoos, but it's really important that they're good tattoos. I had this one happen to me. They really have to be good tattoos because <laughs> I don't want to be with someone with douchey tattoos. I just have to wake up. It's not funny to me. That guy had a very badly done massive tribal tattoo. And by massive, I just mean one gigantic shape on his whole arm. He was from Czech Republic with really bad shading. And it was his whole arm. I couldn't unsee it. It couldn't be covered up. It was gross. So I was like, I don't want this. Uh, and that's what these layovers are for, to show you that maybe the destination that you had in mind needed a little bit of tweaking. So enjoy it. And if you have any more questions, just keep me posted throughout this whole process. No problem. Is there a time within the AE process, autoerotic process, when becoming a fully fledged business entity will become apparent, like incorporating and or building a business bank account and other such kinds of recourses? So when it's a personal brand, the only thing that you really need to do is get a good accountant. But what I will do is put this in point eight and we'll make sure that this happens in point in point eight. But we can, you know, you never really have to do your, a lot of times we build out the tax side of it before the business is actually even collecting revenue. And as long as you do, if you've collected revenue, the first year, I didn't even do my taxes because the revenue was so small. I was getting paid through PayPal. PayPal sends you your own 1099 if they report it to the government. So I was like, I, I wasn't making enough income to do the, the tax side of it. And so we want to actually have revenue before we start figuring out how to pay taxes on it. Now, the only exception to this is that if you already have a personal brand, your personal expenses can be business expenses if you have the correct filing status. But again, if you're not collecting revenue, don't worry about how to pay the tax man until you have something that you need to pay taxes on. And once we have the revenue coming in, then you're going to want to get with a good accountant and figure out the correct filing status. And my guy for that, his, his name is Richard Prinzi, and he's, his thing is actor's taxes. But I will make sure that when we get to Wealth 9, we do tax stuff. Cool. Ta-da. 
okay, do tax stuff. And there's actually always like a really easy way to do it as well. Like usually it can kind of piggyback on a long, once you have your correct filing status set up, because so many times I reached out to my accountant about starting new like LLCs and stuff like that, when actually the only thing that was really necessary was uh, to just open my mind a little bit about how many things could fit under the umbrella of the personal brand. And sometimes I made a tax matter out of something that was really a mental matter. Like I wanted to rearrange all these things on taxes so that my husband could look like he made more money than he did instead of just being like, I think what the universe is asking us is for my husband to actually just start working. And in autoerotic wealth, I like totally chewed him out because he was, I was like, I, I don't, I think you don't know what it means to work. And he's like, what are you talking about? I got my first job when I was 13. I said, well, listen, it's either one or the other. You either don't know how to work or you decided to stop working the second that you met me. But regardless, something happened. I haven't seen shit in the last six years. So before you ask me to fucking pay in time and money so that you can start your creative career, fucking get an actual learn investing so that we can have some extra money i am hopefully my youtube doesn't end here but if my youtube live does end here because my battery is really low i'll try and do this the express version but if my youtube ends you guys can always catch the replay of this on my podcast wherever you podcast this will be up at the end of the day Um, I'm moving forward with my flywheel and hedgehog because the definite conclusion to what's paying first and fastest, as well as my ikigai, I love, I love this. Great. These are the three things that we wanted. Flywheel is moving forward. Flywheel is a five to 10 year strategy for your business. First draft. Hedgehog. What's the thing that you can focus on that can scale? And it corresponds with her ikigai. This is 10 out of 10 homework. Three levels of your correct what is right for you what is right for you. I'm so killing it. But I'm a Gemini and I find it so difficult to fully trust it. I feel like my heart's vision is always changing. How do I rein this in and have faith that the path I'm shaping is the right one? You know that your heart and your vision is always changing, but that you're going to have to do something and see it all the way through to the end. So you know this about yourself. You know that this is a pattern that you have with basically everything that you do. See what it's like to see one product all the way through to the finish line. You can use the money for this to fund all of your other projects. But know that that Gemini has two faces, that sometimes you're about it and sometimes you're, you're not. And it's about being able to hold this truth of yourself. Sometimes I'm about it and sometimes I'm not. And without losing your mind over it. Just because you're about it sometimes and you're not other times doesn't mean that all of your product, that you just never see a project all the way through. Now, most of the Geminis I know just have like straight up double lives. And when they're about their project, they can work on it. And when they're not about it, they work on their other projects. But they keep returning to that same one. They don't leave it anytime they get over it. So you're going to have to see it all the way through. Luckily, Erotic Wealth is forcing you to show up with a certain degree of consistency, working this product all the way through. So you don't have to worry. Just keep showing up and don't draft. Your hedgehog is going to change very little. If we've got hedgehog, flywheel, ikigai all lined up, this is it. This is it. You got it. So just keep going. This is your new test. Can you finish what you start? Prove to yourself that you can. And we answered that at about 53 minutes. I'm giving people timestamps here. That's what I'm doing. 
Hi, mommy, how can I stop with a repetitive behavior or addiction even? I tend to bite my nails when I'm nervous or stressed or just out of habit. I'm interested in the spiritual side of it and understanding that pattern in other people that I see too. I know tons of people that have that have done this. Um, how my mom got me to stop doing it was she put nail polish remover on my fingers until I, but that, that only worked when I was small. But I did take that hint and when I wanted to wean my son, I just put nail polish remover on my nipples. That didn't work with my daughter, but I did sharpie my nipples black with her and told her, ya no sirve, they're not working. And, uh, and she, was down, she said that I got bit by a black lizard. So great. But now, but I had weaned, I've weaned her like three months ago. And now sometimes she still wants to get on the boob, even though there's nothing in it. I say, oh my God, get the fuck out of here. Uh, what you want to do is when you notice yourself biting your cuticles, identify what the feeling is. What's this feeling that I'm feeling? And ask yourself, when was the first time I ever felt this way? There's trauma work. There's trauma work. Now, once you look back on that feeling and see the first time you ever felt that way, you'll be able to identify even more clearly what that feeling is. Is like, I was scared or I was nervous. This is what you're feeling now that's causing you to do it. Now, no amount of this is ever going to make that feeling go away. You're just going to have to verbalize yourself. I'm feeling nervous. I'm feeling scared. I'm feeling anxious. I'm feeling anxious. If I'm feeling anxious, what do I need to do to make this go away? What do I need to do? Because once you realize this is the compulsion that you're trying to do to make the feeling go away, no amount of this is going to make that feeling go away. But if you're able to verbalize that something is happening to you that you want to change, instead of just thinking that you're going to chew your way through it, you'll be able to find a better tool. You can do tapping or anything like that. We answered that question at 57. Cool. Almost done here. And I think that my, my YouTube's going to be able to live the whole way through this. All right. Next question. And then I'll be grading homework after this. Hey, Nami, you said in one of your videos that you teach what you want to learn. I like this idea. That being said, there are some things I want to learn that I don't feel qualified to teach because I'm not an expert in it. The things I feel very qualified to teach, I've lost the drive to teach because I feel like I've been there, done that. Thoughts? Thanks. Yes. So happy that you asked me this question. So when it's something that you're over teaching, this is exactly what's meant to go passive. You could ask yourself, like, what is a conversation that I'm totally sick of having? Am I sick of having the marketing conversation? Make that a passive income workshop. Make that a book. Make that something on video so that it's having that fucking teaching for you all of the time. This is what's required. You don't get to go to the next level without putting someone at the level that you're at. So these are the exact conversations that are going into your passive income stream. This is building your passive passive income repertoire. Now, exactly what you said. There are some things that I want to learn that I don't feel qualified to teach because you're not an expert in it. This is point to the tool section of every magical process. You really want to teach this and you don't know anything about it. So you're going to learn it. And as you're learning it, you're going to be inspired to share what you're learning, which is passively organically launching this product before it's even come into creation. This is where you start notifying your audience that you're onto some new shit. And then all of the audience that's not ready to do the new shit will be really happy to do the old shit that is now cheaper for them than it ever could be when you were teaching it one-on-one. -on -one. This becomes your passive income. So we have this like holistic business strategy, right? Where social media is getting your little sound bites of whatever it is that you're teaching on the way. The things that you're launching for passive income, the social media gets. The things that you're inspired about that you're learning right now, the social media gets. And this way, everybody in your audience is, is seeing your dimension as a teacher. 
Launches are the ones that we do to keep our income churning. Inspiration is how we tease people about products yet to come and then they get turned in and then they get turned into launches. So social media gets the snippets. Big things that you've mastered become passive income. Become, and that goes in the passive space, in the three space on the Enneagram. Your active income, your cutting edge of teachings are the things that you most want to, that you're still learning, that you're still understanding, that you're still mastering. And these are the ones that you have to be physically present with your audience to make sure that they're good. So because this is the first round of autoerotic wealth, this is I'm physically here, physically present with my audience, making sure they understand. For erotic wealth, that went to my one-on-one clients first for $20,000. Now it's a group workshop that, and the videos are recorded, but my homework checking and my Q&A is active this whole time. I'm making sure that they digest it step by step. It's got a lot of attention. And even though it's for a very low price point, I surrender to this. I say, this is what's necessary to be able to make this passive one day. Right now it's an active workshop. Next round, it'll be a passive workshop. It took me nine rounds of Wheels Reinvented to set that one passive, but that's like, and it might take me nine rounds of erotic wealth to set it passive until I, right now I'm checking so much homework. I'm checking so much homework and I might need to see three, four, 500 people through this process before I know exactly how to be able to just tell them how to do it in a way where they won't have any questions back to me, where I'll be able to know, look, everybody gets stuck on this piece of homework here. Ask yourself this question to make sure that you don't need to ask me a question later. And that's just data and that's just experience. So the passive and the workshops get the big lessons that you've mastered. Your one-on-one clients, your beta round for workshops, the live round of workshops, these get what you are still mastering. And so if right now you figured out like, okay, I most want to, so I'll, I'll give you myself as an example. I wanted to teach sex magic. I knew that this is what I was called to teach. It was what I was super passionate about, but I had so much to learn about it. And honestly, for two and a half, almost three years, I was actively talking to my audience all the time online about sex magic, about what I was learning about it. And other things, it was very quick for me to learn. Sex magic took a really, really long time because there was so much conflicting information out there. And I had to guinea pig it all on myself and my husband, which took a really long time. Then it had to go through case studies before it could be a a group workshop, but that's okay because I was learning the whole time. I was passionate about the whole time. I was absolutely just so hungry to understand why it was the way that it was. So there's just the life of being a teacher, but we're always like pushing ourselves to our cutting edge and sharpening our edge with our one-on-one clients and people that we're working with in a very close capacity. Once we've mastered things, it becomes passive income and the social media gets the snippets. We don't give social media every solution for every problem because they don't value it if they haven't paid for it. And also you got to clear that level of good householder. Okay, last question. I'm answering this at 105 and then we'll be a done Zeno over here. How do we reconcile the exercise of don't make commitments unless you know you can keep them because you don't want to generate shame. But then there's the lesson of I can do X if I start X and I stop X, where you said to let the ritual change us, but not all of it will stick. So let me answer this part first and then I'll answer the second part of your question. So we went from that was the ritual in point three and then we get to point four where you say, look, there's the ritual that you want to have 
and then the ritual that you're actually going to end up having. And all you're going to do is take that same shame ritual and say, okay, I said I was going to work out every day. I still want to, but I can't right now. I'm going to revisit this in three months. Or you say, okay, I'm going to um, you know, write my book every morning. This is something that I cannot do right now. So I'm striking it off the list. Those things that you put your name to, but you couldn't do, we now will strike off the list in that, in that shame process. And that's why that one is after that I can, if I, and if I stop. Cool. Also, there is the white magic lines of setting intentions and stating really clearly what you want. But then there's the paradox of you don't know what the fuck you want. It feels paradoxical. Yeah, it is paradoxical. All second level teachings are paradoxical. Full stop. The end. Now on the white magic line of an, on the white magic line, which is where we started. This is why the Enneagram is so useful because it's on the white magic line. You set the intention of what you want. On the black magic of line, you go through all your deserving fears. And on the red magic line, you surrender that you don't know what the fuck you want. And you have to surrender all the way. You'll get more than you wanted, but you're going to have to be totally surrendered. And you really don't know till the end. It will happen at the end. Those assured of the outcome can wait without anxiety. But this is why we use the Enneagram. White magic, you can focus 100% on your will. Black magic, you can focus 100% on your fears. Red magic, you can focus 100% on surrender. You don't need to worry about the fact that you don't know what you want until you get to the red magic line. We're on the white magic line, just enter the black magic line. There you go. But all second level teachings are paradoxical. They're all yin yang. So that's what mastery is, is to be, and this is why we go through that first level of duality. You need to be able to hold you need to be able to hold two or more conflicting realities without losing your mind. That like things can be good for one person and bad for someone else without losing your mind. We make the mudra of the triangle. We say there's three sides to every story. I'm not going to lose my head over this. It's all good. But this is what it means to go into second level teachings is to be able to hold the paradox. And this is why teachers are always required for second level teaching because somebody initiating out of the exoteric into the mesoteric is always going to want to categorize something as this or that. Is it effort or surrender? It's effort and surrender. Second level teachings are all both and and not either or. So this was my favorite question that I answered today. Thank you so much for your question. That is it for homework today. This replay is posted where you can find it. On YouTube, you can find it. On any podcast platform, you can find it. On my app, you can find it. I'm going to head and check homework right now. Thank you guys so much for this. I absolutely loved this, uh, this experience. Thank you so much. And I will see you next Friday at 11 a.m. And just so you know, the intuitor is going to be on Tuesdays now and not on Thursdays because the Tuesday edits really didn't work. I'm sorry, the Thursday edits really didn't work for my video editor, but Tuesday works better for him. Love you so much. Love you so much. Bye everybody. Thank you so much. Had such a great time.